we made it to June, guys. It is a beautiful day, beautiful week we've had. So congratulations, we survived winter again. Um, Jonathan kind of spoiled. I had this whole. Does anyone know what day it is? Starter. But anyways, today is Pentecost Sunday, and uh, that is a, is really good news for us because the whole all across the world, the Capital C Church is celebrating the coming of the Holy Spirit. So it's this uniting thing, and that that is a real part of our faith. And like Jonathan said, we wouldn't even be here without that. And so we celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit, like coming on the apostles and all these different followers of Jesus. But it's also the sign and beginning of the the church, the birth of the church. So we're here today because of Pentecost. And so this this is a really good news because the family of God united from every tribe, tongue, nation. We're now empowered by the Spirit of God to bear witness to the person of Jesus. It's a good day to celebrate. Amen. Uh, just briefly, I wanted to say thank you for all the kind words after last week's message on suffering. Um, I, I wanted to say to you guys, Anchor Point Church, you make it easier to be honest and vulnerable. So thank you guys for that. And today will not be as intense as last week. So uh, can I start with a few stories this morning? Is that cool? And I want us to laugh louder than the people in there. So no pressure. All right. So story number one, titled Golf Trinkets Take Their Toll. He usually worked on Halloween. My dad had the great fortune of being born on the 31st of October. And as I got older, I began to notice how he continually tried to downplay his birthday, and more specifically, the receiving gifts part. He looked weary at the thought of opening another one of those gifts. My dad used to get the worst gift given to him. Like, the worst gifts. I kind of get it, though. Like, as many of us are experiencing now, like, what do you get? Someone who has everything. Yeah. So we have that kind of thing going on in our lives. And most of you guys know that my dad worked in the golf industry for most of his adult life. So people want with the lowest common denominator type of gift. You know, what do you get someone who has everything? A golf-themed something. So that's right. You guessed it. My dad got golf-themed everything. But not usable golf things like golf trinkets. You know what I mean? Yeah. Probably not. And that's probably a good thing that you don't know what golf <laughs> trinkets are. But let me try to paint a picture for you. We're talking about... Golf ball Christmas ornaments. So three Titleist golf balls stacked on top of each other to depict Frosty. Um, 19th hole tea towels. There are 18 holes on a golf course, so the 19th hole is a euphemism for the clubhouse bar. Um, numerous, I'll say it again, numerous golf statues and figurines. Commemorative Michael Jordan golf balls. And my personal favorite, in his grip, a golf-themed daily devotional. <laughs> Poor guy. That's I mean, so that is a tough cute. lot in life. That is really tough. What does one do with a golf statue? Do you toss it in the garbage? Do you put it on the mantle? For the record, no, you don't, at least in my mother's house. Perhaps you try and use it on the golf course as some type of like good luck token. Um, what does one do with a golf statue? I've thought, that, thought about this a lot, and as far as I can see, there are three ways to go about this. Option one, you could do nothing with the gift. Option two, you could treat the, golf, the gift as a novelty item. Or option three, you could engage this gift as a necessity, which in this case would be absolutely ludicrous. So in the case of the gifted golf trinkets, none of them were actually helpful or beneficial. I just forgot I wasn't recording. I am. I am. Oh, thank you, Katie. Well, let's go with that. Katie, she's clutch today. In the, in the case of the gifted golf trinkets, None of them were actually helpful or beneficial or necessary for my dad. They didn't help him become a better golfer or to enjoy the game of golf more than he already did. 
They couldn't be used in any meaningful way in real life. And for the most part, all of the gifts were completely useless and would eventually end up in the black garbage bag destined for the mayor's goodwill. Okay, story number one, done. Story number two, middle-aged golf nerd given golden opportunity. There was a fridge full of Gatorade. It smelled like new. I heard the familiar thud of a golf ball hitting a screen. There were golf clubs everywhere. I was in my happy place. I had finally made it to see my dad's new golf shop, club champion in short pump, Virginia. I think I have a, yeah, there he is. There's my dad right there. A few years ago, my dad got his dream golf job. He is working for a company that fits you with the right equipment for your golf game. They do what is called a custom fitting to help you find the perfect clubs for the way that you play golf. And so for the record, my dad, as you can see, like he's a rock star at this job. Maybe you can't see, but he's just emanating golf uh, prowess in that photo. So that's him. That's, that's him in his, his, his little station there. And uh, he's good at his job. It's his happy place. He's, he's helping people find like the best equipment for them so they can be the best golfer they can be. It's like the sweet spot for him. It's a sight to behold. So for a golf nerd like me, you can imagine my excitement when my dad extended an invitation for me to come get fit the next time I'm in town. So a little context. Golf equipment is expensive. Custom golf equipment is really expensive. <laughs> so his invitation to come get fit came with the promise of a new driver. A driver is a golf club that you use almost on every hole. So quite a useful tool in the game of golf. And it's also typically the most expensive club in your golf bag. But he said, hey, man, I want you to come get fit and I'll look after all of it. He just wanted me to experience the fitting process and to get a new club that would help my game. So it took me a while because of COVID and all kinds of other stuff to make it down to Richmond. But in the meantime, each time I would talk to my dad, he would bring up how excited he was for me to get fit. We'd talk and hypothesize about what type of driver head or shaft I would end up with. And he was convinced it would help me and, it would not, and he could not wait to get a new driver into my hands. So fast forward to November, 2021. And that's me there, that's in November, 2021. Um, I made it to club champion in Richmond. I got fit, I had some Gatorade and nerded out for hours. And I just got my driver a few weeks ago. Still haven't played, but I fit it and it's, it's amazing. So a question, what does one do with a new custom fit driver? I thought about it a lot and I see that there are three possible options. Option one, I could do nothing. And one day it would end up in one of those black garbage bags in our basement destined for the closest goodwill. Option two, I could display it in our living room as a novelty item. I haven't run this by Jess yet. <laughs> yeah, but, but, but golf equipment is a lot more tacky than you may even be able to imagine or wrap your head around. It's terrible. And it doesn't really suit like the minimalist earth tone vibes of our living room. So it's noticeably, I duly noted it's vetoed. I will not put it out. Or option three, I could take it on the golf course and engage it in all of its custom fit, game improving, distance increasing, dispersion reducing glory. <laughs> Wow. On the real golf course. <laughs> so thank you for indulging me in a few nerdy golf stories. Um, I realize that most of you in the room couldn't care less about golf, if I'm reading the room right. Um, but uh, I, I do think that these stories could help us kind of frame what we're going to talk about this morning, surprisingly. So put a pin in these two stories for now. Today, we're going to be looking at the promise of the Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bibles, let's open them up to uh, Ezekiel chapter 36, and verse 26 and 27 we're going to read. But while you're turning there, let me give you some context. Ezekiel is an Old Testament prophet. So he lived 
before the birth of Jesus. And in these times, God would speak through a few select men and women to communicate to his people, the nation of Israel. And Israel, like you and me, had a really hard time staying faithful to Yahweh. Try as they might, they couldn't live up to their identity as sons and daughters of God. So into this group of people who are struggling, just like you and I, to obey and live the ways of God, he speaks this promise through his servant, Ezekiel. So let's read together. Ezekiel 36, verse 26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. This is the word of the Lord. If you guys bow your heads, let's pray together, and then we'll hop into our conversation. Come, Holy Spirit. We invite you just to come have your way this morning. Open up our eyes, unclog our ears, soften our hearts to hear the good news of Jesus today. We ask that we would have a real sense of your nearness to us. I love what Jess was saying, that, that I'm here and you're here, which means that we are here together, Lord. So we are here for you, and we ask you just to meet us here, God. Bring revelation to our hearts, and I just pray that you would um, yeah, just open up our eyes whether, we, whether they've been shut. May we see you for who you really are, and we hear changed and transformed more into the image of Jesus. And I pray that you would really touch hearts this morning, God, that we have a, a real tangible experience of your presence here amongst us. We need you, and um, we're, who are we kidding to think that we don't? So come come move amongst us, God, this morning. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Do you guys have a weird uncle or aunt or cousin or you know, the, the person you try to avoid at family gatherings? If you don't, I want to tell you, you might be that person. Um, and we can pray after. So there's some type of question that's going around in your mind, like, what is their deal? There's some level of mystery or uncertainty or ambiguity to this person. And so you're just praying and hoping you don't get seated next to them at the Thanksgiving table. Like, what are we going to talk about for an hour? I do not want to hear about this, that, or the other thing. And because you don't really understand them, it might just be easier to avoid interacting with them all together. And then you think, well, at least I only had to see them like a couple of times. You guys are thinking so much of such a thing. Um, I am. Um, but uh, where was I? Sorry. Uh, at least he or she is only here sometimes. At least they don't live with us. We can kind of come in and out of relationship with them. And to be completely honest, this was my experience with the Holy Spirit until about a decade ago. I tried my best to avoid it or him or whatever I thought it was at that time. It was just too weird, and I had some weird, harmful experiences, so it was like, if that's what it's like, I want nothing to do with it. So every once in a while, we'd bump into each other, it would be read like Acts, and it would be awkward, and we wouldn't really talk, and then it was just like moving on to the next thing. And maybe you've had a similar experience, maybe not. But the point is that in a group of people like we have here today, each of us has a unique experience or understanding of the person of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're here this morning, and you're exploring the idea of Christianity. If that's you, we're so glad you're here, and you're welcome to be here with us. But I, I would say the vast majority of us here this morning have some experience of being in a church, either this church or the church we grew up in or we went to before we moved to Allison or whatever that might be. And I want to paint a caricature intentionally of either side of the spectrum of, of relationship to the Holy Spirit. On one side of the street or one side of the spectrum, we'd have a word-heavy church, 
So it would be all about the Bible, which is a good thing. And it would be more like Father, Son, Holy Bible than Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I apologize. That was a pastor joke, like legit pastor joke. <laughs> but word heavy on one side. On the, on the other side of the spectrum, you'd have a spirit heavy church where it's like the weirder the better. You know, like shofars are out. People are dancing. There's streamers everywhere. And it was like little to no Bible um, teaching or anything like that. And the weirder the better. And it was all about the experience of the spirit. So here at Anchor Point, just to be clear, we're trying to hold the best of both of these things together. So we, we believe in the authority of Scripture 100%. But we also believe we want to live life in the Spirit, that there's a whole um, empowerment and a way of life available to us that we want to intelligently pursue. So we're trying to hold these things in tension and trying to live in the radical middle of both the Word and the Spirit. So again, just to reiterate this, we are trying to intelligently pursue a deeper relationship with the Spirit of God. But then why don't we? And I would suggest it's because we're not sure what to do with the person of the Holy Spirit. For a lot of us, he's still, for all intents and purposes, the weird uncle that we'd rather avoid if at all possible. And one of the biggest ways that we misunderstand the third member of the, of the Trinity is we see the Spirit as a what rather than a who. You see, the Holy Spirit is not a weird Jedi force to be wielded to battle the enemy. I know this is bad news for some of us. And because of this, we would typically opt for either option one or option two, going back to our golf story. Option one, we just do nothing with the person of the Holy Spirit. And this could look like going about your life as if he doesn't even exist. Or subscribing to a theology that the gifts of the Spirit cease with the apostles, that was then, this is now. Or option two, we treat relationship with the Holy Spirit or the person of the Holy Spirit as a novelty. Meaning, we expect the Spirit to magically make things appear or disappear from our lives. Or we think and treat the Holy Spirit as an it. It's, it's, it's for those weird charismatics, not for me. Or it's like a souvenir reminding us of where we went once, but never again. Been there, done that, got the Holy Spirit t-shirt. So how, how do we get to a place where we choose option three? where we begin to have an imagination to see that engaging in a relationship with the person of the Holy Spirit is a necessity in the life of a, of a disciple. See, the Holy Spirit is a person with whom we are invited to cultivate relationship. He is neither a novelty or something to do nothing with. So again, I think this is worth saying again, the Holy Spirit is a who, not a what. The Holy Spirit is a member of the Trinity. The God of the Bible is triune, remember? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is God of God. And how does the Holy Spirit work? What does he do in us? What is he doing in creation and in the followers of Jesus? We see him in the scriptures regenerating us. We see him justifying us, adopting us, befriending us, teaching us, convicting us of ways we're rebelling against God's good rule, equipping us to do what Jesus did, giving us life, communicating the love of the Father and Son to us, making much of Jesus. So notice here the nature of the things that the Spirit is doing. All of these actions are in some way, shape, or form relational in nature. They're drawing us closer to God and closer to one another. The Holy Spirit is a who, not a what. The Holy Spirit is a person with whom you and I are invited to cultivate relationship. Okay? How are you guys doing? Good. Maybe just get a sip of water here. So I'm going to attempt do in five minutes what it has taken in the past a few months to do. I'm going to try to give us a brief overview of the person of the Holy Spirit from Genesis to Revelation. Okay? 
So the act one, I want to think about it this way. The Holy Spirit in the Old Testament or the age of visitation. Okay, Genesis 1, we see that the Spirit was there from the very beginning, bringing life and bringing order out of chaos. The Hebrew word for the Spirit is the word ruach, which means breath or wind or energy. And so God's Spirit is invisible, but his presence is felt like the wind. We're meant to have an actual experience of God's presence. So in the Hebrew Bible, we see the Holy Spirit visiting people. So remember that. In the Old Testament was the age of visitation. And so in, in the Old Testament, we see the Holy Spirit visiting Joseph and helping him to interpret dreams. We see the Holy Spirit visiting Bezalel and, and helping him make these incredible artistic expressions and excellence for the temple and the tabernacle. We see him bringing strength to Samson. We see him giving Deborah wisdom and discernment and ability to see from Yahweh's point of view. We see him giving leadership skills to Gideon and to David. But the, the point I'm trying to make here is that he visits the few, the prophets, the priests, and the kings. But like the, the promise we read this morning, there, there's more. God is saying, I will put my spirit within you. I will remove this heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And in Joel chapter 2, there's a prophecy that says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. So not just the few, on all people. But not only that, there's this pointing forwards to this one that's going to come, this anointed one. And so Isaiah, another prophet, in Isaiah chapter 11, he says this. I think it'll be on the screen. Yeah, thanks, Katie. You're welcome. Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from its roots will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest, or another translation says, remain. The Spirit of the Lord will remain on him. So this is coming him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. We're left, we're left at the end of the Old Testament with a longing and a desire for more, and we're looking forward to this coming anointed one on whom the spirit would remain. Drum roll, please. Who's coming? Jesus. Yeah. So, Act 2, the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus, the anointed one. So, Jesus is born at the end of a 400-year long awkward silence between Yahweh and the people of Israel. And we see the presence, so this is how we see the, the, the Spirit's work in the life of Jesus. So we see the presence of the Spirit at the birth of Jesus, where Mary was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. We see the presence of the Spirit at the baptism of Jesus in Luke chapter 3, when the Holy Spirit descends as a dove and remains on him. We see the Spirit empower Jesus in his kingdom ministry in Luke 4, as he returned from the wilderness full of the Holy Spirit. And this is what this looks like. One writer, Simon Ponsonby, says, Simon Ponsonby says it this way. The Spirit's endowment received at baptism, tested and tempered in the wilderness, is now focused on the manifestation of God's kingdom. That which is an aberration, a contradiction, a sign or result of the fall, is transformed and renewed. The presence of evil is expelled. The scars that mar God's image in our body are healed. And the ignorance which binds us sorry, blinds us to God, evaporates in the light of Christ's teaching. All this is a work of the Spirit. We also see the work of the Spirit at the resurrection, again bringing about life where there was death. Jesus was resurrected by the Spirit. In summary, Jesus bridges the gap between the age of visitation and the age of habitation. Jesus' resurrection life of the Spirit was passed on to his followers. That's what we're celebrating today, right? Luke 24, 49, Jesus says this, And look, I am sending you what my Father promised. As for you, 
stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. That's the very end of, of the Gospel of Luke. Which brings us to Acts 3, the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, or the age of habitation. Again, this brings us to Pentecost. So let's read from Acts chapter 2, verse 1 to 3. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. They were, then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So no longer does the Spirit just visit a few select people. Through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, he ushered in the age of habitation. We share in his life, the life of the Trinity. The Spirit lives inside of you and I, which is incredible. So in the age of habitation, the Spirit brings the divine resurrection life into us as Jesus' followers. In the age of habitation, God gives, God gives us the gifts of the Spirit to equip us for the work of ministry. And God's Spirit brings new creation into Jesus' followers, bearing the fruit of the Spirit. There we go. Your head spinning? Okay. A lot of information. So the Holy Spirit is, the point I'm trying to make is the Holy Spirit is here from the beginning all the way through the, the scriptures. Making much of Jesus, regenerating us, adopting us, doing all kinds of beautiful work, bringing life where there is death, order to where there is chaos. So this is a really brief introduction to the person of the Holy Spirit. So I'm just trying to get us to think through, okay, option one, I'm going to do nothing. Option two, I'm going to treat him as a novelty. Or... Option three, how do we engage a relationship with the Holy Spirit as a necessity for us as followers of Jesus? I'm sorry to say, this brings us back to our golf stories. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is not a trinket to be tossed into a black garbage bag destined for the goodwill. Life in the Spirit is not a novelty where we settle for a shabby chic fruits of the Spirit painting that you use to decorate your family ring. The Holy Spirit isn't even a custom tool to improve your life. Remember, this is key, the Holy Spirit is a person, a person with whom you are invited to cultivate a living relationship. And not only that, we are invited into life in the Spirit as followers of Jesus. So when I think back on my day of getting fit with my dad, honestly, the thing that stands out the most is that I got to spend time with my dad. I remember he was waiting for me when I arrived, and he was just so giddy and excited, maybe annoyingly so. He was just so stoked that we were there. But then we just hung out. We, we joked around. We had fun. We drank some Gatorades. And uh, it, it really boiled down to this. He did his thing, and I did my thing. But we were doing it together. See, he's the teacher here. I'm the student. He's the expert. I'm the novice. You sound familiar. So in a very similar way, the Spirit comes into our lives and invites us to come spend time with Him so that together we can do something. We can take what we've got as individuals, as humans, the raw materials of our personalities, families of origin, gifting, and desires, and to see what He can do with His life-giving, life-bringing, sin-convicting, Jesus-revealing, regenerating ways. The possibilities are endless. Here's some good news. The Holy Spirit is more committed to your transformation into your true self in Christ than you are. He's got a bountiful harvest of the fruit of the Spirit in mind for you. New creation unfolding within you. And he's just waiting for you to come to the doors and give him the green light. Just like my dad was for me that day. See, we as a community, we talk about this a lot. We're doing our best to follow the way of Jesus together. 
And that is flipping hard. To be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did, this is no small task, but this is what we're made for. Relationship, communion with God. And I don't know about you, but this often feels like an absolutely uphill battle. I mean, becoming like Jesus? Are you kidding me? But God knows this, and he knows that apart from him, we can do what? Nothing. So to become the type of people that Jesus is calling us to be is a tall order for sure, but in that, we are not alone. See, God himself wants to make his home in you. He wants to empower you. He wants to encourage you. He wants to teach you. He wants to bring you life where there is death. He wants to bring order where there is chaos in you, to bring light where it is dark, and to befriend you in a real and meaningful way. And I don't know about you, but I need more life. I need more light. I need more conviction. I need to see Jesus more clearly. I need an awareness of the Father's love. I need help in loving other people. I need the Holy Spirit. And it's freeing to say, I can't do this without him. So on Pentecost, we celebrate that God kept his word. He kept his word to put his spirit within us. We acknowledge that through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the age of habitation is ushered in, where God's spirit is available to who? All people, helping us to obey the way of Jesus and to use the words of Dallas Willard to get into heaven before we die. That includes, let me check, you, and 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 you. This includes all of us. Jesus says in John chapter 7, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scriptures have said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. He said this about the Spirit. Those who believed in Jesus were going to receive the Spirit. So the question I want to leave you with this morning is, are you thirsty for more of the Spirit? We prayed this during our confession this morning. We are empty, ves- we are empty vessels that need to be filled. Fill us, O oh God. David Watson puts it this way, It is only the Holy Spirit who can quench the deepest thirst of the human heart. Because it, because it is only the Holy Spirit who can show us the beauty of Jesus and fill us with the love of God. Indeed, when we have drunk this glorious living water, it will spoil our thirst for everything else. So as we close this morning, we're going to have some time for reflection, and we're going to actually have time to pray for one another, um, if you're interested. And I want us to think about which option we've been choosing in regards to relationship with the Spirit. Have you chosen, most recently, option one? Have you been doing nothing in regards to your relationship with the Spirit? Maybe for you, it's option two. You've been treating the Holy Spirit as a novelty. And for the record, there is no shame here if either of those things are true of you. I think they're probably true of all of us in different regards. But today, we all have a fresh opportunity to choose option three, to see the Spirit for who he is, God of God, the third member of the Trinity, a who, not a what, a person with whom we are invited to cultivate a real-life relationship. I believe that there are thirsty people in this room. I know I am thirsty, but may we humbly ask and receive from God a fresh filling of his spirit today, and may streams of living water flow from deep within us. Our Father is a generous God. Let's ask for a fresh filling of his spirit. Jesus in Luke 11 says this, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more 
will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? We are empty vessels that need to be filled. Fill us, O God. Come, Holy Spirit, 